Hey, I'm Heidi Rue, and you're listening to the Heidi Rue Show podcast. So who am I? You may be asking, well, I used to be on air at a radio station for a long time. Now I'm a full-time voice talent, actress, and host. And my husband and I also own Atlanta VoiceOver Studio, which is a recording facility, but also a place where you can come to train to learn how to do voiceover. This podcast I started because my motto is don't stop, get it, get it. I've done a lot of things in my career and always looking to do and create something different. I'm very much an entrepreneur. The problem, though, is is that as entrepreneurs and as people that are seeking out creative outlets, we need encouragement. We need support. We need to know that we're not alone, and we need help sometimes. So that's why this podcast exists, to share with you stories of female creators, innovators, and leaders that don't stop, get it, get it. And today's guest is wonderful. Her name is Stacy Tank. And after she left, I was like, I think I may have a girl crush on her a little bit. So Stacy is vice president of the home services at the Home Depot. In the role at Home Depot, Stacy is leading this turnaround of a division of Home Depot Interiors, Home Depot Exteriors, and Home Depot Measurement Services. She tells the whole story, and it's super fascinating, her taking this role where they were really suffering and they were losing a lot of money and how she was able to turn that around. But before Home Depot, Stacy was Senior Vice President and Chief Corporate Relations Officer for Heineken. She also worked at GE, where she held a variety of roles from global communications, finance, audit, and marketing roles. She's been on multiple 40 under 40 lists. And she's in Atlanta, and she's got two sons and a husband and a little dog named Dolly. So what you're going to hear today in the podcast is how Stacy went from really loving theater and the arts growing up and how that led her to a corporate career. You're also going to hear the perspective that Stacy has that has allowed her to rise above any boundaries or hindrances, whether that's gender or experience or whatever. And you're going to find out how she makes it work with two kids. What are her daily habits? Stacy also mentioned this quote, and I love it. She said, you invent the 25th hour. What does that mean? And then how can you and I implement that? We'll hear all of that from Stacy. What I was blown away with is Stacy's leadership, her mindset, and her heart. And I think you're really going to love hearing from her. So Stacy, I want to hear a little bit more about like how you grew up because you were very focused on theater and TV and film even in college. Mm-hmm. So tell me yeah. where that like love and desire came from. I grew up, I'm pretty musical. And so my schools that I attended generally had some type of music program or theater program. And I love telling stories. I loved delighting people. I love making people smile. I love bringing them on that journey. And I also like the adrenaline rush of being, you know, live on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people, being on live TV, you know, it's like running a gauntlet. And I just, I enjoyed that challenge and the artistry of it. So I did a lot of theater growing up and music and all the way through college. And and then the story of my life has basically been different doors opening and me saying yes. I did not have a predetermined path at all. I sort of just stayed in the moment and whatever looked like the most unconventional next move was typically the move I would take. So many times, you know, we hear people talk about goals and like, you know, have that even that manifestation. And it sounds like for you, it's just been like, I'm just going to keep going, keep doing my best and see what opens up. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm kind of stubborn. You know, as a kid, I was stubborn. And so in particular, if someone told me I couldn't do it, I really wanted to try doing it. So uh, that's why you'll see I started, I was a film major. I started as a vocal performance, you know, major and uh, broadcast journalism. Then I switched to film and then I was going to graduate early. I got a business degree and I, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. And then uh, I was a yoga teacher full time for a while. I graduated early. I moved out to Colorado. I was doing all kinds of things with my then boyfriend, who's now my husband. And then GE called. I had done all these internships. I worked in television stations. I worked at ESPN. I worked in an ad agency. I worked in a music festival, just trying different things out. And GE called as I had interned with them in marketing and communications. But I didn't feel like I wanted to do communications. It just, it was enjoyable, but I didn't feel like it was a complete fit for me because I also like math and science. I'm very right brain, left brain kind of balanced. So jealous. And, <laughs> so jealous. I like the other things too. I like yeah. all of it. Right. And then they said, we'll move you to Paris. You know, so I said, absolutely, <laughs> I'll do anything to go there. Communications, yes. Yes, exactly. Sure. And I loved it. I loved yeah. uh, everything about it. But, and then I went into finance after that because someone told me I couldn't and no one ever had. Mm -hmm. And it sort of followed that pattern throughout my life of what's the thing I haven't learned how to do yet. Will someone give me a chance to learn it? Have you ever looked back and thought, oh, I kind of still would love to do TV and film, or is there anything that you've come across that you're like, oh, I'd still love to do that? I love the performing arts. There's no question in my mind that I love taking people on that journey, laughing, crying, uh, and the challenge, the personal challenge that it provides. Mm. But I would say I'm able to find outlets for that in my current life. So I sit on two arts boards, Serenby Playhouse and the Woodruff Art Center. They're totally different and both incredibly special. And so when I'm immersed in the board meetings or on those campuses, I get goosebumps. I feel it's such a profound privilege to be able to do that work now and be on the other side trying to create space for other artists to do their art. And then at Home Depot, we have a TV studio. We call it HDTV. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a live virtual town hall that we do. It's an hour of live TV, essentially. Yeah. And we take anonymous live questions and we dress up and we're silly. <laughs> you know, one of my mottos is if we're not having fun, we're doing it wrong. Uh-huh. So so I still get to be creative in different ways. Yeah. I think I'll be the old lady, you know, I'll be 80 years old and I'll be playing the old lady parts in the community theater because yes. I do love it. What do you feel like has been that key for the forward momentum? Is it just like seeing what doors open and just walking through or what is the key for you? I think there are a couple of things that are innate that I didn't realize were maybe a little bit different until I got older and was able to be more self-aware. The first one is that I was, like it or not, born with kind of an irrational amount of self-confidence. I, I don't, <laughs> love it, Stacey. <laughs> it is irrational, but I don't worry about things. Yeah. I don't worry about taking risks because I sort of do it out in my mind and I, I calculate how I think it's going to go and and then I'll just go for something. And other people will view that as taking a big risk moving overseas. I've lived in Brazil. I lived in London. I lived in Paris. I lived in Montreal. I lived in Toronto. I've moved over 20 times. And uh, I've switched companies. I've switched fields. And a lot of people look at that as risk, but I looked at it as a great adventure of learning. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never, I don't have that voice in my head most of the time that says, I don't know if you can do this. Mm-hmm. I always had this 
kind of burst of adrenaline going, oh yeah, I want to do this. Um, and then I said yes to things I, I think a lot of people wouldn't have been willing to do. And I was very flexible. Uh, so I've worked in, in so many different industries from nuclear power plants to plastics businesses to healthcare to NBC Universal and um, beer and, and, you know, aircraft engines and now home, home improvement retail. And um, I've uprooted my family. I've uprooted my life. I've missed some important family things sometimes. But in that flexibility has come so much opportunity to learn and to serve on a broader stage and mm-hmm. to take care of my people and now bigger and bigger groups of people. But I often, just my friends, they'll ask, why are you willing to do that? Or why were you willing to move to Milwaukee? Or why were you willing to work in an industry that maybe isn't super cool? Um, although I always kind of found yeah. aircraft engines are cool. Yeah. What? what are you talking about? <laughs> this is cool. I know it's not beer, but it's still right. cool. <laughs> um, so I think that flexibility helped as well. Just I've said yes to most of my life. I've just said yes. You said that you had that any risk is fine. But did that ever come as a hindrance working in business? Because I can imagine how you're like, yeah, let's do it. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 let's let's crunch some numbers here. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, to, <clears throat> wait a minute. Has that ever happened? Most of the time when we're kind of charging ahead, it's usually in the spirit of there's there's something that we've contemplated, right? That's worth going after. Or we're charging ahead to say, instead of let's do it, let's really pressure test this. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look. Should we or should we not? Let's really weigh out the pros and cons. The role that I'm in now is probably one, it'll it'll be the probably the the role that'll go down in my own self-reflection as the scariest because I took over these three businesses 18 months ago and two of them in particular were really, really struggling for a long time. Businesses we had acquired over 16 years, never fully integrated. There were a lot of problems, compliance challenges, cultural challenges. We had a lot of litigation. Our systems were failing all the time. We had some strategy opportunities and some kind of basic economic problems about where we were and we're not making money. And stepping into the role, I knew there were opportunities. And so I said, oh, absolutely. I love a good challenge. Let me, you know, jump in and try to see what we can do. I did not realize the magnitude Hmm. of the challenges and the fact that many people had tried before and were no longer there. And so... It was um, a couple of months of turning over every rock and going, whoa, and connecting with people. I have about 5,000 folks who are across the United States, mostly in the, what we say, in the field, which means not here in Atlanta, and hearing their stories about how our choices as leaders were impacting their marriages, their relationships with their kids, whether or not they could pay their mortgage, Mm -hmm. and it became very personal. And so, you know, grown men crying to me all the time, all, every day. I never in my life experienced something like that to that magnitude. And I started to get worried that we weren't going to be able to make the kind of change we needed to make. And I was telling them, this time is going to be different. I promise you. Mm-hmm. I'm here and I will not, I will not let you down. But we were asking for this massive change and we needed our CEO and the rest of the executive team to to agree that it was the right path forward. We exited four lines of business. We walked away from hundreds of millions of dollars in sales because we could not provide the customer experience that 
that they deserve, customers deserve, and nor the associate experience. Mm -hmm. And there was a period of time, it was probably six or eight weeks, where there was ambiguity around whether or not we were going to be able to make that change. And that was probably the most stressful time in my life. Mm. I've been through a lot of things. I've been through a lot of health things. I've been through a lot of business things. You know, I worked on the Fukushima nuclear meltdown. I mean, I've worked on some crazy things, but it was the first time when it was me as the business leader, putting my arm around people and saying, I'm not going to let you down. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to deliver right. or not. That feels <clears throat> like such a burden almost. It was, it was a lot. But at the end of the day, I know my role there and I know kind of when I walk into a room, what's different. I've worked on uh, in the purpose space for, for a while. I was actually just at Washington University. I came back yesterday at a purpose summit. So the way I've articulated my purpose is to ignite the worthy fight and blow your hair back. Mm. My whole life, that's been the theme. And so I thought to myself, hold on, step into your purpose, use it as a compass, ignite the worthy fight. We are going to be able to do this. Yeah. And in the end, we did. We wow. exited those lines of business in February we restructured the business. We were in February, we double digit negative comped. We shrunk the business double digits. Last month, let's just say we're growing gangbusters. Wow. Everybody's making their bonuses. We're growing. We're able to add more resources because we're growing. And so um, it's been a crazy experience, so rich with learning. And I was the chief communications officer and the president of the Home Depot Foundation right mm -hmm. before this role. And you might say, why are you running a couple billion dollar business now type of thing? Uh, but that's the, the pattern of my life is do the unexpected thing. Take mm -hmm. the unconventional path. Take the role where you're going to learn the most. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. been tremendous joy. Throughout that, first of all, congratulations. That is huge. And I can't, I felt the stress when you were telling me that. <laughs> it was real. <laughs> Especially when you connect with those people and you realize mm -hmm. these are lives that are being affected. Mm -hmm. And if I make the, <clears throat> the wrong decision or if this doesn't work out, then I know what's at stake here. Absolutely. During that time, did you ever have people that doubted your plan? Mm -hmm. throughout it? And if so, how did you deal with that? Because I know you have a lot of self-confidence and we're, we're going to stick up an IV to you before this is over. <laughs> we'll bottle that up and sell it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, you know, what was nice was when I got there into the role, people said things to me like, Craig sent you. We know he sent you. Craig's our CEO. We know he sent you for a reason because he trusts you. And it was interesting to hear that narrative coming back because I never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. So the, the company had faith and the officers believed they were angry because we were really missing our numbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, we missed, we missed by a lot <clears throat> last year, a huge number, like tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars wow. in terms of our targets. The, the doubters were in the field. Hey, lady, you know, young, young lady. <laughs> you don't know anything about our business. We're different than the rest of Home Depot. I've heard it all before. That person that came in before you, they said all the same things. And I know this time's not going to be different. And they had a right to feel that way. Sure. Part of the reason we did things like the virtual town hall from the beginning was so they knew, one, we're radically accountable to you. We work mm -hmm. for you. And if you don't like the way that we're progressing, tell us. And if you don't want to tell us by, you know, emailing because you want your identity to be, you know, anonymous. That's great. Tell us anonymously. Tell me on live TV in front of everyone. That's how dedicated I am to changing where we are. 
And you can hold me and you can hold this team accountable no matter what. Yeah. And I think some of those symbols over time, you know, everybody has their own way of coming along and their own time that it takes. But little by little, folks were coming along. They did start to believe. And now when I walk into branches, instead of 55-year-old men crying on my shoulder or screaming at me, which both of which I deserved, you know, we deserved because we had not served them. Now they're smiling and now they're hugging, you know, and now they're talking about, hey, there's growth here and there's a program we could do there. And there's this customer segment there and, you know, we could do a program for them and that that's $50 million of growth. And it's energetically completely different than where we've been. And that is the kind of company I want to work for. So much better now. Yeah. So it sounds like some of the keys were transparency and staying connected. And then I loved what you said, we're working for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think those are keys that really other businesses could could grab hold of and to see a lot more success? Mm-hmm. Because you saw it in the bottom line yeah, yeah. and it actually didn't necessarily even start with like, well, let's just better the product. Let's, you know, let's connect yeah. with the people that are already working for us. Right, and, and listen to them. Mm-hmm. I have this expression, all the answers are in the field if we would just listen. You know, they know all the answers. What is your biggest pain point? They'll tell you. And if you listen across the whole country and do pattern recognition, it will be very clear very quickly. Where's the biggest place we could drive growth? They know. We just have to ask. We just have to listen to them. And that's what we did. Yeah. So I think listening is is absolutely huge. And again, if we're not having fun at the end of the day, we're doing it wrong. I want people to come to work and feel lifted up. I want yes. them to feel like they have freedom to create I want them to feel like they have authority to take care of the customer so there aren't so many rules that their hands are tied. And a lot of times I just think about environments that I worked in where I didn't feel honored by my manager or the company where I did feel like my hands were tied, where I felt bullied or I felt vulnerable um, and not in a great way. And then I try to you know, take those lessons with me to create a better workplace. Yeah. So, And Home Depot is so great at that. They're very very, very people-oriented culture. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of permission to kind of go above and beyond for our people, which I love. That's great. Okay, let's switch a little bit and talk about two very special people in your life. I mean, you're a a wife and then you're also a mother to two Mm -hmm. boys. So, and it sounds like you are like changing the world, changing lives, and you're always on the go. You just said you got back from Washington, D.C. So how have you made it work with two boys and being a mom? The most important career decision I ever made was picking my spouse. And I did not know that at all when I was 18 and I met him. <laughs> you know, there's some luck involved here, sure. no doubt about it. Luckily, my parents really liked him from the beginning, so that was a good sign. He is so supportive. And we've been on our journey because all marriages go on a journey. Sure. Um, there are things that we've had to explore and figure out. You know, we don't have the most conventional lifestyle. He works in Philadelphia. Okay. So that's yeah. not Atlanta where uh-huh. we live. So he's traveling. I travel every week. You know, we we need help for certain things, like making sure our kids are safe and they're getting to their sports and mm-hmm. um, babysitters and that type of thing. And so we had to figure out what was going to work for us. Mm-hmm. And there are naysayers all over the place, including, sure. you know, sometimes even family members. But we've figured out a way of living and working and supporting each other that's great for us. And mm-hmm. he is super, super supportive. And my kids are really supportive of me, yeah. which is very sweet. We're raising them to be very independent, to be independent thinkers and doers. So 
during the week, for example, my older one is 10, Jack, and he wakes up, he sets his alarm for 6.30, gets up on his own, gets ready for school, like gets dressed, goes downstairs, shuts off the alarm, takes dog for a walk. Wow. Comes back in, makes himself breakfast, sits on the couch and studies. <gasps> he does that on his own. And then we go down later, a bit later, and, well, I'm up there kind of getting ready, and then I kind of fly out the door, and um, then the other one comes down, and he'll get himself dressed. He's five. He'll get himself out of his pajamas, get himself dressed for school. Now, it doesn't always look pretty because it's not always matching. (laughs) I think you might be colorblind. Right. But (laughs) he comes down, he does it himself. Yeah. So, you know, my bigger one knows how to throw a load of laundry in. Um, They know when they want something, they kind of – try to influence and make a rational argument for why they should get it. And so we're trying to raise them to be independent and let them have autonomy to make their own choices so they can learn who they are and how to make good decisions. Mm. My big one started walking to school a mile in the city of Atlanta by himself last year. This year he rides his bike alone. I probably shouldn't say that, (laughs) but he, you know, he's very responsible and it's very normal for him. He flies by himself. He'll fly up to New York to see family alone. And it's funny, the first time he did it, he was eight and I, he got off the plane. I was there waiting to, you know, collect him. They scan him out and everything. It's very, Delta does a great job. And I was like, Hey buddy, how was it? And he said, huh? He's, he's like confused. What do you mean, how was it? He said, what, like it's hard? He's like, they <laughs> they put me in a seat and gave me a snack. And then I watched a movie. He's like, this is fun. So, okay, it's good. That is awesome. <laughs> it helps a lot. So I feel a lot less guilty knowing that they're kind of out there doing their own thing, making their own decisions, and they're happy kids. So. Yeah, that is so beautiful, Stacey. I love I love that. I was such an independent kid too. And I'm so grateful. I mean, my parents really let me do a lot of things, but I'm so grateful because it really helped me as well. Yeah. I had a similar upbringing. Yeah. One of the things that you've been praised for is creating a a value-based culture in the workplace. And it sounds like at your home too, but so tell me a little bit more about that because I'm very absolutely agree. That's my husband and I, you know, owned this voiceover studio. And that was one of the first things that we did was, is we created values that we both agreed upon and that filter our decisions from, but tell me how that works with you. So in the workplace at Home Depot, it is a very values-based organization and that helps a lot. We have a values wheel with eight values and Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank, mm-hmm. who are our founders with Ken Langone, they established that values wheel from the beginning. And the values include things like do the right thing, take care of our people. It, it's kind of a no-brainer, but at the same time, I've worked in places where that absolutely was not happening. You have to focus on it with such profound intention every day, every hour of every day, or it doesn't happen because mm-hmm. the world's so crazy and we're all so busy and yeah. we get distracted. Right. And the, then we end up not really taking great care of our folks. So the container makes it easy. I would say at a pretty influential age, my family moved when I was in first grade from New York to Texas. And we did not have the best experience there. I got bullied a lot as a kid. We were just weird. We, you know, it was mostly Texans and we were from this other place and we didn't have the right accent and we're, you know, Jewish and all these other things. And it was just the eighties. It wasn't what it is today. And I'm glad for that experience Mm -hmm. because I remembered what it was like to not be treated well 
And you kind of make it your mission to make sure it doesn't happen for other people. You, you protect them. Mm-hmm. So I try and we all, you know, always have work to do and it's never perfect, but I try to create a place where people feel safe, where they can speak their mind, where they can be creative, they can be themselves, they don't have to fit in a box and where we do things to help them achieve whatever dream they have for themselves. And so it sort of comes out of that childhood experience and then magnified by this awesome company that makes it a huge priority. And then just the values, you know, my parents' values and Trevor, my husband, we coincidentally were born in the same place, which is so weird because we met as adults. Yeah. Wow. We were both born in the Finger Lakes of upstate New York. And you guys were destined to be together, I it sounds so. like. <laughs> I agree. I, I completely agree. So yeah, we just, we have really great parents. Both sets of our parents are still together, you know, for a really, really long time. And even though they're still so young and they look great, um, but they've been together for um, for decades and decades. So kudos to them yeah. for instilling those values in us. Right. How do, how do people figure out those values? I mean, I know that you said that you kind of grew up with a set of values, but how do you decide and hone in on what is those values for either me, my even small business or big business, whatever it is? Yeah. You know, I have to shout out my mom because she is, uh, she is just a, I was about to use a swear word, which I won't, but oh, it's okay, she was though. just it a, is a podcast. So we, okay, <laughs> we can, she's a badass. Yes, that's what I would go. say. I love she's it. a total yes, badass. Yes. And she showed me growing up that having a big career, she was a superintendent of schools, started as a teacher and a principal, et cetera. She was always working so hard. She had a, a rocky childhood, very up by the bootstraps person. And through her example, I learned values around hard work around picking yourself up when you get knocked down because it's going to happen all the time mm-hmm. and you can't be a victim. In fact, just let that fly right off your back, get up, try again, learn something from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, her way with people, her style of leadership, her willingness to make herself vulnerable. I remember going to her school, this beautiful old school in Connecticut called Bingham. And it still had the thing you pull from the ceiling to flush the toilets. You know, oh, this wow. really great old school, <laughs> the creaky floors. And we used to go as kids to help. You know, they had filing cabinets back then. We would mm-hmm. file things and whatever just to help out. And I remember at her town hall meetings, and she was an arts lover. She got all these grants as a, a poor urban school district. And mm-hmm. so she was always fighting for the kids to get exposure to the arts in school because they probably mm-hmm. might not have a chance at right. home. And she would get up and she would sing with them and she would talk with them. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, she's so brave. You know, she's (laughs) larger than life. And she's making herself so personally accessible to them. And so those are a lot of the things I I was exposed to and that I loved. Other things that I didn't, you know, and you kind of leave those things on the cutting room floor. You take the things that you love and you try to embed them in the way that you live your life. Yeah. Stacey, there is something that you said that I really love, but I want to kind of um, have you expand on it. Sure. So it said, you've said that you invent <clears throat> the 25th hour, mm-hmm. right? Did I have that yes. right? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so tell me exactly what that means and how you do that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's probably a little bit of hyperbole, but uh, I try to be really efficient with the things that don't bring me joy or don't allow me time with my family or my work family. So my routine to get ready in the morning is extremely efficient. I can get ready in 15 minutes you know, I get up at five, five, five oh two usually, get make a coffee, get on the treadmill, whatever, work out, mm-hmm. go get ready for work. And it's literally like fifteen minutes, boom, I'm done. So um 
other, you know, with all the kid birthday parties, we've just got gifts in the toy closet. So I don't have to stress out about that. I start holiday shopping in the summer so that I'm not stressed out about that. You know, Mm -hmm. I try to find all these different ways to be really efficient with my time so that whatever free time I do have, I can spend with the people that I love and I care about. You know, when I, this is a really quirky one for you. I was a Pilates instructor, did all these things years and years ago. And I remember this one Pilates teacher, she told me when she brushed her teeth, she did a legs workout. So for 20 years, I've been doing that. I've been doing a legs workout while I brush my teeth. Why not? Three or four minutes of some squats. Okay, good. I fit that in. Check, you know, so it's just about, just about being efficient and being smart with my time. I love that. Well, I I really love that term. I'm going to remember that for sure. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people said like, we can have it all. Do you believe that? I believe uh, about the power of positive intent and envisioning success. It's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. I've been guilty, even though I, you know, it's funny because I just think I do push myself, but I've even been guilty of shooting too low. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, you should just dream really big. Mm -hmm. And if you want it, you're willing to work, you will achieve the dream. There's this... Beautiful example of this, uh, two summers ago now with my, with my older son, Jack, he was playing baseball for five years or so and was playing on the summer team, but he was known as a big hitter, but he was just on this streak where he couldn't hit and it was getting really stressful. Even though that sounds like a small thing, if your kids have played baseball, when they're up at bat, it's, Mm. you are on display. There's a lot of social pressure and he puts a lot of pressure on himself, and it just killed me. I knew he needed to go through that, but mm-hmm. it really killed me as his mom to watch it. And we were trying to help him out and be positive. And right. Like, oh, just let it go. It's not a big deal, honey. Sure. No one's paying attention, but everyone's paying Everybody's attention. Everybody's paying right? attention, right? <laughs> he's right. supposed to be one of their big hitters. So one day we're walking into this tournament. We park the car. It's chaos at these tournaments, and we're walking on the gravel. I still remember the sound under my sneakers of the gravel, like, you know, squishing as we walked. And it's just the two of us, my husband and my five-year-old were behind us. And Jack's looking at the field. You can see his teammates are kind of assembling. And he realizes this is going to be the field where they're going to play. He looks at the field. He looks back at me. He looks at the field. And he looks back at me and he says, Mom, today's the day I'm going to do it. And I didn't really know what he meant. I'm like, yeah, buddy, you're going to have an awesome game. You know, I don't know. He said, no, Mom, today's the day I'm going to hit a home run. And I was like, oh, my gosh, please let this child hit the ball. Please let this child hit the ball. He got up, end of the game. They were down. Bases loaded. This kid hit a grand slam. No. Yes. Grand slam over the fence. Four runs. I literally, I'm like, wow. If that's not setting positive intent in envisioning success, I don't know what is. And at 10 years old, he taught me something. Man, that I cannot imagine a better story to to end this interview. <laughs> uh, mic drop by Jack. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> thank you, Jack, for teaching us He's all today. Um, Stacy, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and insight. Really appreciate it. And I, um, I admired you before, but I admire you even more after hearing more of what you do. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah. It was so much fun.